Robert Sanders, man, it's been a long time. I'm so glad we finally got you on the show. How are you doing? Good. How are you, man? I'm doing well. And uh, I got to tell you, I've, I don't know if it's, you know, the World Cup fever or what, but uh, one of the main reason I wanted you to come on the show, I've been wanting to get you on the show uh, for a while, like I was mentioning. Um, I wouldn't say I'm hooked on soccer or football, whatever I'm supposed to be calling it. Uh, you know, the same way I am, you know, motorsports, obviously, or even, you know, American football or basketball, but I have been trying to keep up with it. I've been, I've got my union shirt on right now. I'm excited for the start of uh, MLS season, um, especially with how good the union have been the last few years. Hopefully this might be the year they can finally uh, break through and uh, get over the final hurdle, win MLS cup. But uh, I, I know you've been a soccer fan for a long time. I want to get your thoughts and opinions on, uh, some of the things going on in the sport right now. And I also want you to help me uh, learn some things because I know, uh, you know I've been trying to watch these Premier League games. I still don't know uh, all the teams and too many of the players and everything. Before we get into Chelsea, though, I, I guess we have to address there's something going on with the coaching staff of the U.S. men's national team. And I know Gio Reyna not getting a lot of playing time during the World Cup was, was a whole uh, ordeal. So what's going on there? It's a pretty interesting situation. I don't really know as much as probably some other people who are diehard fans of the U.S. men's national team know, but I, I do know that uh, it was kind of like a, a weird whistleblower situation in the sense that, for lack of a better term, it was kind of like Gio Reyna's parents um, telling on Berholzer, who's our who's our coach, um, because he didn't get much playing time. So there's a whole, whole backstory to it. Um, of Berholzer doing some things back when he was in college um, that the Reyna family who um, knew Berholzer at the time and who's, and Gio's father, Claudio, um, played with Berholzer uh, on the men's national team. They knew about, and so they told the, the men's national team governing body. So they're doing a full investigation right now. Um, but it's a really interesting situation. I think it's kind of funny to, to kind of see that um, it's kind of petty, if you ask me a little bit, just because, I understand that Gio Reyna is a phenomenal player and he just got back from injury when the World Cup happened. So um, there's a kind of a lot of ifs, ands, or buts that you can argue about. Um, but it's a very interesting situation now in the men's national team for sure. Well, we'll get into the men's national team a lot more as the show goes on, uh, I'm sure. But, you know, like I said, I really want to touch on Chelsea because I know that's your uh, favorite Premier League club. And I guess for, from what I've noticed kind of following the table of the standings here it seems like they're kind of middle of the pack which i'm sure there are some clubs that were recently promoted that would love to be uh where chelsea's at right now but given chelsea's rich history as one of the top premier league teams uh with one of the largest fan bases and everything i gotta imagine uh most of you guys probably aren't too happy with this current situation that the club's in so what's going on that that has them further down the standings here i mean it's a really open-ended question um there, there's a lot of different things that, that I could talk about and I don't want to, I don't want to keep you here for a couple hours, but um, I'll, I'll try to do it in like 500 words or less. But uh, basically um, when Russia invaded Ukraine um, earlier in 2022, um, there was a lot of stuff going on in terms of uh, our club owner, his, our former club owner, I should say now, uh, his name was Robin uh, Abramovich and he's uh, a Russian and the Premier League thought it best for a whole plethora of different reasons, as well as um, other things that will take 
too long to, to explain that he should just leave the club. So the initial plan was to step aside from the club from his perspective and then leave everything to the board of trustees. Um, but as, as things got going, he thought it would be best in order for him to just sell the club itself. So normally when it comes to selling a club, it takes like six months at minimum to over two or three years. There's still clubs who are still in the process of being bought out. Um, but Chelsea somehow did it in, I think, less than 60 days. So it's a really, really crazy turnaround. It's never been happened. It's never happened before. So um, there's a lot of change, um, a lot of turmoil during that time um, in terms of what was going on, who was, who was going to be the next uh, owner, a lot of questions being asked. Um, and still, Chelsea had to play, play some really important games during that time span. So basically, uh, Todd Bowley, who is a co-owner of the Los Angeles Dodgers, along with a consortium of, I think, close to 50 or 60 people, bought out Chelsea in May, I believe, um, and then started full ownership starting in late June. Um, so it's been a, it's been an interesting ride for sure. A lot of Chelsea fans are kind of just now starting to get back into things just because there was so much turmoil last year. Um, but yeah, 10th place isn't, isn't the best. Actually, I think we're ninth now because Liverpool lost the other day, but, um, yeah, ninth place isn't the best. We've spent a whole bunch of money too, um, to try to inject some youth and some, some creativity into the club and it hasn't really, uh, panned out yet. So it's going to take some time. Um, but I think the thing that all Chelsea fans are kind of looking for right now is a champions league spot. So. What are your thoughts on Christian Pulisic? Cause I know, you know, being a more casual fan here of the U.S. national team, he's kind of been seen as uh, the future of the, I, I guess you can't say franchise, but the team, the, you know, our, our American uh, soccer team here. Um, I, I understand he's injured right now and there have been, you know, some complaints about how much playing time he's been getting. So what, what are your thoughts on his current situation with Chelsea? Yeah, I kind of feel bad for him, to be completely honest with you. Um, he came in in the 2018 season, I believe, um, and he was raring to go. Um, he didn't really start that much that year because uh, we still had Eden Hazard on our team. Um, but he he played well, um, didn't play that much. We had a lot of coaching changes um, during that time as well. But then in 2020, um, when the pandemic hit and um, the Premier League had just started back up again in July and August, he popped off. Um, he, he had, I think five or six goals, um, for you know, a seven or eight game span, which is crazy. Um, a couple assists add to that as well. So he was doing really, really well. Um, afterwards and at the start of the new season, we were hoping that um, he would get some, some more starting time, but it kind of just fizzled out. He got a lot more injuries, um, during the FA cup final, which is, um, the domestic cup in England, which we were in the final four, uh, he got, he scored. And then like two minutes later, he got injured. Um, he wasn't kind of wasn't the same afterwards. So he's been hit with the injury bug quite a bit um, at Chelsea. And now Chelsea just had a whole bunch of players as well um, that are in his place. So I don't know if we'll get a lot of time for the rest of the season. Uh, it's looking more and more likely, like he'll probably leave in the off season, which is kind of sad to see. Um, but at the same time, I'm, hoping that the new team that he plays for, whether it's in the Premier League or somewhere else in Europe, will, will be something that he can utilize to kind of revitalize his career again. So, Well, that's just what I was going to follow up with. Would you see him signing with another uh, Premier League team or would it be somewhere else in Europe? I don't know if he would come back to America to play in MLS at this stage in his career. Where, where do you think he'd end up? I don't think it would be in the MLS. Um, 
maybe somewhere somewhere in Italy. I can see him in Italy. I can see him in Germany. I can even see him in the Premier League. Um, there was a couple teams. Uh, Manchester United were interested in him for a while. Newcastle were interested in him for, for a while. So um, it's it's going to be very interesting to see, um, A, from, from how much transfer money Chelsea wants to get out of him, um, and then second, where he's willing to play, because it's up to the player, of course, too. So um, I would assume somewhere in Europe, for sure, in like a top five league. So you and I went back and forth on this a little bit. Uh, Arsenal, I think, had a very exciting game within the last couple of weeks. I know they're on top of the standings right now, or at least last I checked. Um, I understand you're not a huge Arsenal fan, which I guess makes sense uh, with you being a Chelsea fan. I understand they're uh, pretty big rivals, although you told me everybody hates Chelsea, right? And unless you're a Chelsea no, fan, most Chelsea. people. Yeah. Um, from what I, I think Ars- Arsenal has been since like, what, 2004, since they've won? The Premier League, so I think I feel like they've had a tumultuous last few years as well. Do you see them breaking through and holding uh, at the top of the standings here, or do you think there are some other clubs that might have a chance to catch them here uh, in the second half of the season? Yeah, I think it's a three-one race right now. Uh, Arsenal, uh, Man City, of course, and then Manchester United. Manchester United under their new coach Eric Ten Hag has been uh, doing really, really well. He's built a really cohesive unit, done really well with the transfers inside and out of the club. Um, Arsenal right now, though, I think are are the favorites to win it, and my personal pick as well. Um, even though they they had a little bit of a slip up um, by losing to Everton last week, I think they have a really really good shot of making it, um, just because of the coaching staff, um, the their number ten, who is uh, Martin Odegaard from from Norway. Um, he's player of the season for me so far. Um, I just think they have a really good squad and a really cohesive unit. Um, to finish out the season pretty well. Yeah, I saw that result earlier this week, and uh, yeah, I know Everton from uh, Tim Howard's days. You know, having played for them, um, but it looked like you know they're they're in the relegation zone right now, and to be able to uh, beat Arsenal, who are on top of the standings, I guess was a pretty big upset. Um, I, one thing that you reminded me of, I feel like I remember hearing a few years ago, Man City were in some sort of cheating scandal. Maybe you know not on the level of like the Houston Astros, but still a pretty serious. Uh, situation. I feel like that was in the news again recently this week as well. So what what's going on there? Yeah, basically, um, I don't know if you've ever heard of the term financial fair play in soccer. Um, basically, to kind of sum it up, it was introduced in the 2011-2012 season, uh, which is basically over a three-year span, which UEFA is the governing body, uh, looks over. Um, they just want all the books to be at zero. They don't want any, um, they want the debits and credits to be settled. They don't want anybody in the red. Um, when they did an internal audit, I think a couple of years before the financial fair play came to place over half of the leagues that, or half the clubs that they looked at, which was like over 600 were, um, in the red. And so they were like, well, maybe we should step back a little bit and kind of try to create a way in, in order to, to make everybody's debits and credits zero. Um, when that came into effect, um, Man City were just starting to get back into the swing of things in terms of um, winning the table again and, and getting back into um, a higher standard of being a top six club. So um, the first time that they were, they were quote unquote punished was um, I think back in 2017 or 2018 um, where UEFA took a look at, at their, at their finances and, and understood that they kind of fudged the numbers um, in order for, for them to make sure that those credits and debits equaled zero. Um, so they got 
fined um, quite a bit of money. Um, there was supposed to be a points deduction as well as um, potential for maybe them getting relegated without any um, type of argument whatsoever. But Manchester City hired the best lawyers, of course, um, and then went to the arbitration of sport, which is kind of like the, I believe, the Supreme Court for um, any sports cases. I think that's in Switzerland and they won the case. So they only had to pay. I mean, I say only, but they had to pay quite a few million dollars, um, which is all things considered pretty good. Um, so the UEFA can only look back so far. I think it's a five or six year period, um, but the Premier League can look back more than 10 to 15 years um, from, from the current day. And so they just submitted a uh, basically kind of a, a, a punishment to, to Man City. We haven't figured out what it's going to be yet, but it could be anything from more fines to more point deductions to even, again, relegation to to the um, championship, which is the second tier. So it'll be really interesting to see. I don't think anything's going to really come out of it just because Man City, again, knows how to handle this pretty well, but um, it'll be something to look out for. So you follow me on social media. You know how I feel about playoffs in motorsports. One of the things that I think people sometimes compare, you know, the situation in NASCAR to in terms of not wanting a playoff system is the Premier League doesn't have a playoff system. And that's, you know, a stick and ball sport, I guess, that you can uh, sort of make a, a loose comparison to. But I want to get your perspective as, as a general sports fan, which I know you are. Uh, you follow, you know, all sorts of, of sports as well. Do you like the fact that there's no playoffs and it's just the best team during the regular season who has the most points is awarded a champion straight away? Or would you want to see, you know, a four team or an eight team playoff uh, in, in some of these soccer leagues over in Europe? I think in, in the Premier League specifically, which is what I follow the most, uh, I, I like the way it is. Um, I think it adds more pressure to it. Um, in all honesty, I can understand how it might be more appealing, especially to, to an American audience who has been, uh, with playoffs for basically all of their sports since the beginning of those sports existed um, to, to maybe get some more American fans in order to, to watch the Premier League. But I really liked how it stands just because if it's a really tight race, um, some people might, I don't know, um, draw a couple games or lose a couple games because they already know that they have a place in the playoffs. But um, the Premier League in, in any single game, regardless of um, how many points away you are from first or second place, you always want to play your best. Um, and that kind of brings the competitive edge that might not happen in some of the other sports that have those playoff games. So, yeah, when it makes a, a nice, exciting championship battle, when it when it happens organically, I think that can be very special uh, to watch <laughs> unfold. And uh, yeah, like you said, you know, every game matters and counts. And uh, I, I feel like the whole point of crowning a champion in sports is to determine who the best was that year. Uh, I think there's no better system than to tally up who has the most points or who won the most games or whatever, and uh, just say they're the champion. It's probably the fairest way to determine a champion that you can come up with. Now, I understand the argument, like you were saying, that, uh, you know, obviously, if you have a playoff system, you have more games, you can sell more tickets, you can make more money for the league, you can generate more ratings because people know that those games count for more than just regular season games and more people will watch and maybe get invested. But I think strictly from an integrity standpoint, I think it's the best way to determine a champion and that's probably the favorite my favorite part of uh trying to learn this league and watch this league uh knowing that whoever's on top of the end of the year of every champion straight away and i really appreciate that yeah it's it's, it's a really it was kind of a, a weird transition for me just because following the nfl and following baseball and, and the phillies and all that good stuff 
it's weird not having a playoff background at all, but it kind of adds more excitement to it. So I completely understand what you're saying. Yeah. Well, that's a perfect segue to uh soccer league. It does have a playoff system and our Philadelphia union. I guess I can say that, right. You're a union fan on the MLS yeah. side of things. Yeah. 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 So I got to tell you, I, I've watched MLS cup. Uh, it was actually very perfect because it was on Fox. It was the lead into game six of the world series <laughs> and, uh, understanding you know it was in los angeles it was probably going to be an uphill battle and i guess in complete fairness to lafc they they had the lead uh for much of the game and philadelphia had to get a couple of equalizers there and then briefly took the lead uh in extra time jack elliott had a great uh go-ahead goal and i i gotta tell you i thought we were home free i thought all we have to do is we're up, we're up a man it's 11 on 10 and all they all the best defense and best goalkeeper in MLS has to do is keep them from scoring for six minutes and they're MLS Cup champions. And then Gareth Bale marches down the field and uh, yeah. puts this immaculate header in the goal. And then I still thought we had a shot in penalties, but uh probably I don't think I'm overstating this, the most heartbreaking moment of my lifetime as a Philly sports fan. Um it was just uh unbelievable how it all played out. Um what 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 was going through your mind watching that game and how close the union came to winning MLS Cup? Yeah, funny story about that actually. Um, I was at a wedding uh, during during that time, so it was during the reception, and it was also when uh, Karen University, where I graduated from and where I work, uh, was having their playoff game as well, which is a championship game. So a couple of my friends were at the wedding as well. So I had the union game on my phone, um, and then my other friends had had all um, the Karen game on their phone too. So we were not really paying attention to the wedding, which was. Sorry, but um, it, it was it was a pretty cool experience nonetheless. So uh, it was it was a crazy game for sure. It was one of the the weirdest games I've ever seen um, in the MLS side of things, and maybe even my time as a, as a soccer fan. Like you said, Kellen Acosta, who who had the first goal, uh, horrific defending. It was off a free kick, I believe. Um, so as someone who knew, uh, and as you know, too, Philly had the best defense in, in all of the league last year. So it was pretty, pretty crazy to see how, A, they let in three goals, um, B, how they let in a goal in the dying seconds of the game. Um, and they're a pretty good penalty-taking team as well, and, and they they waft all of those as well. So it was a, it was a very, very interesting game. Um, they lost. Uh, Karen lost that game, too. So it was, it was a pretty – depressing day um but again there was a wedding so i couldn't really be too sad about it but um it was a crazy game nonetheless that's for sure yeah and then the phillies lost the world series i mean you didn't even have to change the channel <laughs> it was, yeah. i don't know if you i don't know if you're on twitter I, I think i've reposted it to instagram as well i've got this tweet up that you know is tracking philadelphia stars lose the usfl championship which was on fox the philadelphia union lost mls cup which was on fox the Philadelphia Phillies lost the World Series, which was on Fox. Then we got the Super Bowl coming up in a few days, which is on Fox again, and the Eagles are involved in that. So mm. hopefully fourth time is the charm here. I and, guess so. Uh, yeah, we can we can avoid making uh, even more history than we've already made uh, losing these sports championships. But yeah, I, I mean, I guess I have a funny story for that as well, because, you know, my, my uncle and my cousins moved over to uh, to England. He got a job transfer out there in 2010, I think. Um, so, and he's a, he's a really big soccer fan as well. Um, he's, he's a Tottenham Hotspur fan. Uh, so that's kind of been my adopted team. I, I apologize. Cause I know that they're big rivals with Chelsea as well. Um, but because, because he's a Spurs fan, I, he, he's mentioned Gareth Bale's name to me before. I, I know who Gareth Bale is and 
I've always liked watching him play. He's been a he's been a fantastic player. Had you know a fantastic career, um, and and I was excited when he came to the United States because I knew he was a big name, and uh, you know I think that helps you know draw interest in the United States and Major League Soccer to, to have a name like like him playing here. Mm-hmm. Um, so you know I, I've I've rooted for Tottenham. You know, as, as certainly a more casual fan who just kind of you know checks in with the standings to see how my uncle's team is doing because he's from New York, so we're diametrically opposed in you know every other sport. He's a Yankees fan, Giants fan, uh, you know, and all that stuff. Yeah. Um, so I figure the least I can do is, I mean, they're they're all across the ocean to me anyway, so it doesn't make uh, much of a difference <laughs> to me. So I figure the least I can do is root for his soccer team. Um, so you know, with with Gareth Bale's history over there, to to see him come to Los Angeles and uh, put a knife in my heart uh, in MLS Cup was a very, very interesting experience. And then not even three weeks later, the U.S. plays Wales in their opening match of the World Cup. Yeah. And that's the only goal that, that the U.S. gives up in open play was was that penalty that Gareth Bale uh, converted. So it's it's just unbelievable to me. Like one of the few soccer players that I knew of and actually rooted for a little bit ends up breaking our hearts twice in three weeks for both club and country so you, know, you can't script that stuff man and now he's not even playing soccer anymore he's a full-time golfer so. yeah he, he breaks my heart twice and then he leaves he just retires man like <laughs> unbelievable but uh yeah but no in, in all seriousness from a from a neutral fan's perspective obviously i was written for the union it was kind of heartbreaking how it all played out but a, a fantastic game i know some of the commentators were saying uh it was maybe the best mls cup ever ever and then i think another one interjected and said uh maybe best mls game ever period um thinking back to the whatever it is now 26 27 year history of the league um so i don't know i I think the future is bright i know the union have come close each of the last few years i know they got decimated by uh covid in 21 uh in the right before the eastern conference final and then 2020 i guess won the supporter shield which is at least something a club trophy uh but you know maybe this will finally be the year that they break through. I guess we'll just have to wait and see. Yeah, they look pretty good this year. Um, they had, I think they've had two or three preseason games already. And I know that preseason is a completely different beast than um, the regular season, but they signed a couple good players. The GM of the team was really looking forward to signing a defender, a midfielder, and I think a forward, and he got all three of those. Um, so we're really, I- I'm excited to see um, what the season's going to be for them. Plus, my friends have season tickets. So um, I only have to do like, give them five bucks via Venmo and then I'm already in for the game. So I hope to go to a couple of those this year for sure. Nice. Yeah. I, uh, I, I saw something the other day. I think they said like undefeated preseason and I'm thinking to myself, you know, who else had an undefeated preseason, the 2008 lions and the, whatever it was, 2016, 2017 Browns, the only two teams <laughs> to go. Oh, and 16 in the, in the regular NFL season. So again, I know it's not an exact science comparison because they're different sports, but uh, the preseason certainly do- doesn't mean as much. Um, but the team does look good this year. And like I said, hopefully, hopefully this can maybe be the year where they break through. Here's hoping yeah. I, I kind of want a final, I, I want a Philly, a Philly cup win in Philadelphia. That's the ultimate dream. Yeah. Well, I guess you can trade. I was just going back and doing some research. I guess there was the Philadelphia Adams in the seventies, back in the old uh, North American soccer league or something that I think won a championship in 73. So the city of Philadelphia does have a soccer championship, but if you look at the, the teams right now, if you count MLS, which I think they're trying to get MLS to be like to have a distinction as the fifth major North American sports league, um, you know, our Eagles got the Super Bowl five years ago, so the Union are still 
uh, looking for their first uh, pro championship. So, um, like I said, you know, maybe this will be the year. We'll just have to wait and see there. But I guess I, to to segue, I know we touched on it a little bit, you know, talking about Gareth Bale and and Wales versus the United States. But uh, a fantastic World Cup, I, I got to <laughs> say. Um, you know, not just for the United States after missing it four years ago, but uh, you know, obviously the epic final that we got. What what were some of your favorite moments from the the World Cup just a couple of months ago? Yeah, um, I mean, from from the U.S. standpoint, Pulisic scoring a goal against Iran was was crazy. Um, it it kind of solidified our spot in in the round of sixteen as well. So that was awesome to see. Uh, I, I watched that with my family, so that was pretty cool to bring us all together. Um, I mean, you can't talk about um, the World Cup this year without talking about the France-Argentina final, but I know we'll probably touch on that a little bit later, I'm, pretty, I'm sure. So um, some of the games that were really cool to watch were Saudi Arabia upsetting Argentina. Um, that was a really cool one. Um, I found out uh, via social media um, after the game ended that the prince of Saudi Arabia bought every single player on the Saudi Arabian team a Rolls Royce. That's kind of like a thank you. Oh. So. That's pretty cool. <laughs> um, but yeah, uh, some of the the dark horses that I thought were going to be dark horses kind of fluttered out. And some of the teams I didn't even think were going to make it out of the group stage made it to um, the quarterfinals. So it was really um, fun to watch. Uh, I think the Euros, which is kind of like the European World Cup, for lack of a better term, um, is one thing. But having all the South American teams and the Oceanic teams and even the Asian teams get together is is a really cool and, and diverse unit. So, yeah, well, I'll tell you, I, I watched the game against Iran as well, and I, I don't know, I, I, I guess people sometimes when they when they try to discredit soccer, they say it's low scoring and boring. Like, if you if you want to disprove that theory, like show them that one nil game against Iran, um, because because I'm I'm not exaggerating when I say this. I literally when that when the final whistle sounded, I I collapsed on the ground in tears. Like I I, I know that probably sounds so silly and ridiculous just to get out of the group stage, but after you know the the failure to even make it in 2018 and how tense that that second half was and how stressful it was, um, you know, and and all the stoppage time, I felt like there was you know like eight minutes of stoppage time, ten minutes of stoppage time in in a lot of these games, which was kind of interesting, but. Uh, that that was an incredibly tense battle, and to to hear the final whistle sound was just you know such a sense of relief. And and I knew the U.S. probably wasn't gonna you know I thought thought maybe they could upset uh, the Netherlands. I don't think there's any way they would have beaten uh, Argentina in the round of eight if it had come to that. But um, you know it was I think unequivocally a success to get out of the group stage after the failure of four years ago. So you know I think there there's a very solid foundation for the U.S. team to build upon. Um, I'm curious what your, what your thoughts are on that. Cause I know eventually the goal is to be able to do more than just get out of the group stage, but what do you think the future of us team looks like? Yeah, man. Um, I know that we had either the youngest or the second youngest team um, in the world cup uh, this year. So that's an automatic foundational building block to kind of go off. Of, um, of course, we have like Gio Reyna um, and then uh, Matt Turner. So our, our goalkeeper, um, when when the rosters got announced, uh, to be honest with you, I was a little bit confused uh, with some of Berhalter's decisions, um, especially at, up top at striker. But I mean, Haji Wright played pretty well. Um, Josh Sargent played pretty well as well. So I think we have a very young team, and they are just kind of now getting into 
um, some of the top five leagues in Europe. So, of course, Pulisic plays for um, Chelsea. Weston McKinney just moved to Leeds, where Tyler Adams and Brendan Harrison already are. So it's going to be a really interesting thing to see in the next four years um, where the Chelsea, uh, sorry, where the um, men's national team is at. Um, I think when it came to watching the games, our midfield was the most fun to watch. Um, and then our fullbacks as well. So um, Anthony Robinson, who plays for um, Fulham, and then Serginho Dest, who plays for Barcelona, who now plays for AC Milan. Um, they played out really, really well, and I'm excited to see how they grow over the next couple of years. And then, like I said, like Eunice Musa, um, who plays for Valencia, and then Adams, McKinney, Aronson. Um, very interested to see how they develop. Um, and then, of course, become the next leaders for, for the 2026 World Cup. Yeah, and Aronson's a bit of a local for us, right? Because he came up through Union Academy. Yeah. yeah. Medford Messi is what they call him. <laughs> nice. Yeah, man. Well, I guess uh, you know, before we touch on the final, um, probably the second best game of the World Cup, at least, you know, for my money, was uh was the round of eight between Argentina and the Netherlands. Um and again, and again, I was I was fortunate enough to be able to to watch that game live as it was unfolding. Um what what, what was it, 90 plus eleven? When when Netherlands got the equalizer there, um, yeah, the last minute. Yeah, what what did you think of the back and forth uh, in that game and the the drive from Netherlands to come back and force extra time? Yeah, I mean in the first half, um, Argentina looks the better team. Of course, they had the goal or two uh, advantage as well. So I kind of thought it was all and done with. Um, starting in the second half, I wasn't really paying attention that much. I was on my phone a lot talking to my friends. Um, but then when Argentina scored the first goal. Um, wow, Weghorst, who's scored both goals, um, who now plays for Manchester United. Um, I was, I, I became a lot more interested, and I was kind of like, "Well, Argentina's known to kind of give up some some pretty big leads." So I was kind of watching the watching the game more intently. And then once the the last gasp header from from Weghorst went in, I was kind of like, "Wow, this is this is going to be a game for the ages for sure." And then if you look back at the annals of um, World Cup history ever since it began. I know that Argentina and the Netherlands have never been the best of friends. They faced off in a lot of really important games, and I think Argentina overall had the upper hand um, in in most of them. So that kind of added to the story even more. Um, and then, of course, I don't know if you watched post-penalty um, shootout, but all the Argentina um, players kind of ran over and did some, yeah. some interesting things to, to, the, to the Netherlands yeah. uh, faithful and players. So it was a really fun game to watch. That's for sure. Especially from a neutral point of view. Yeah. Well, and again, who would have thought that it would be the second best match uh, that we would have gotten? Because of course, Argentina advanced for that. They beat, uh, I guess Argentina beat Croatian, Croatia and France beat Morocco. Right. And that was how yep. uh, the, the final four as it were played out. And then, you know, the epic final with Messi and Mbappe, Argentina uh, and France. Um, now I, I don't even know where to start. With, with that game alone, just the, the emotions of, you know, France trying to be the first country to repeat and what, what, what was it? 60 years since Brazil did it. And then obviously mm -hmm. Messi's last chance at the one trophy that's been missing from his illustrious career. Um, you know, take, take me through your thoughts as you were watching uh, that match unfold. And I think it, it really played out a very similar way to the game Argentina had against the Netherlands where, you know, they were up two nil and it looked like, you know, they were, they were set and all they had to do was run the clock out. And then France came storming back. You know, again, a crazy game. Um, I've been relishing uh, 
watching a final um, that was that was high scoring, really, really intense. Um, I, I've been a, a Messi fan ever since I kind of began watching soccer. I know that that's the, the huge debate of Messi versus Ronaldo. So I was really hoping that he would win a World Cup to kind of solidify his status for me as, as the greatest of all time. Um, so that was kind of something that I was rooting for. Um, a lot of my friends who I, who I watched the game with as well were kind of in the same boat as me. So even though I was technically a neutral fan, I was really hoping that Argentina would win. And I think that kind of added on to the, to the pressure even more. Um, I mean, if you think about it, uh, Argentina had less experience than France did, but also France had a lot of injuries coming into the World Cup. So it was kind of a, an even match overall. Um, but yeah, I mean, um, Messi's goal, uh, uh, Di Maria's goal, to kind of put him up 2-0, kind of, I thought it was all but over. And then, like you said, France came storming back, went to extra time, went to 3-3. Mbappe had the game of his life in the second half. And then again, penalty shootout, which Montiel scored the last one, which solidified again, in my opinion, Messi being the GOAT. So, I mean, I couldn't ask for a better World Cup. And of course, right before Christmas too. So it's kind of like a Christmas present. Yeah. Yeah, well, I didn't I didn't make the connection until... After the fact, I guess Lloris is the goalkeeper for France. I know he just had that, yep. you know, really embarrassing. I think they counted it as an own goal, actually. I just remember seeing that and all the French <laughs> fans were saying he didn't even try during the penalty shootout. He just <laughs> completely quit on us. But uh, yeah. yeah. And, and he announced his retirement from, from soccer, uh, international football soon yeah. afterward. So yeah. Well, and then, and then I think when Martinez made the save um, <laughs> in that, that would have put France up four to three. Um, I, I know the guys in the Fox booth were saying, like, remember that save, uh, because you know, France could have sealed it right then and there before they even got to penalties. Yeah. Um, so, you know, the game just had a little bit of everything. And then, you know, I, I guess I was with you, you know, with the storyline of, uh, of Messi, you know, I, I, I wouldn't have been devastated if Argentina had lost. Cause, cause like you said, you know, we're really neutral fans in this whole deal. And, you know, obviously France was playing for a lot as well, but if I had to choose, I, I think I would have probably a little bit been pulling for, Argentina as well, just because, you know, this being Messi's last chance and, uh, you know, everything he's been through throughout his entire career. Um, you know, I think it was a very fitting ending to his, you know, if not his international career, at least his his World Cup career uh, yeah. with Argentina. So. So, yeah, yeah. I mean, I guess a, a nice segue, you, you kind of touched on it as well. Um, going back four years ago when the World Cup was in Russia, um. I think it was during the group stage. Uh, I think Ronaldo had maybe a hat trick in one game and Argentina had a poor showing. And I think I, I put something on my story, like it's official Ronaldo. And I think you actually responded to it and told me to <laughs> take it back. Um, you know, I, I think, I think I'd probably agree with you, that it's messy now at this point, knowing what everything I know about the game and uh, their history and obviously Messi having the world cup and Ronaldo not having it. I was actually hoping for an Argentina, Portugal, final because i think you know, Messi ronaldo would have been uh, a very intriguing matchup but uh you know why why do you think messi is the greatest of all time and what do, you, what do you think besides you know the world cup win that he just experienced um what what do you think gives him the edge over ronaldo and i guess maybe even guys like maradona and pele people argue this question all the time i don't think there's a, a really distinct answer i think especially now with with lebron baking the points record people are still going to debate whether or not he's the goat or jordan's the goat um, so it's it's something like that that kind of comes in with with the soccer debate of, of Messi and Ronaldo. Um, I mean, over over their careers, Messi uh, Messi has less goals than Ronaldo, um, and 
even though he has more assists. Um, I think that Messi, A, is, is a more technically gifted player. Uh, I respect the crap out of Ronaldo in, in the sense that he had the he had the work for for his talent. Um, Messi was just, in my opinion, more athletically gifted from the start. So I respect Ronaldo for that. But in Messi has less apps um, or appearances, I should say. Um, he has more assists than Ronaldo does. Um, he has twenty or thirty less goals than Ronaldo does, and over a thousand, or sorry, a hundred less apps, um, which is which is pretty mind blowing. Um, Ronaldo started at the left wing, went to striker um, as as his career started to to get up in years, and then Messi kind of transitioned from um, a center attacking mid to a right wing, back to a center attacking mid. Um, I just think the way that Messi plays is a lot more beautiful in the sense um, of just how soccer, in my opinion, should be. Granted, I never played soccer. I just started watching it a couple of years ago. Um, but from from my small-brained mind, I really do think that Messi is, is, is the better, in my opinion. You know, I think the future of Messi and Ronaldo has been, you know, widely discussed, obviously, since the World Cup. Um and what I didn't realize, I know Messi's been linked to Miami for a while. I didn't realize, uh, I think Kansas City had an offer on the table for Ronaldo that they may or may not have come close to uh, signing him in actuality. But obviously, uh, he's you know off with his new deal uh, in Saudi Arabia, making you know literally hundreds of millions of dollars, I guess. Yeah. Um, which I which I suppose you know you can get into the whole moral aspect of you know playing over there and the human rights issues and everything, but. You know, from a financial standpoint, I suppose it's it's hard to compete with that. Um, what do you think the future holds for Lionel Messi? Because I've I've heard reports that you know he's been heavily linked to Miami and uh, David Beckham's club here with with MLS, but you know he's happy where he's at with PSG, and it sounded like he was going to re up with PSG, but now maybe they're walking that back. What do you think his future holds? Yeah, um, I mean, there's there's a soccer journalist who I follow. His name's Fabrizio Romano. He's kind of like the the head honcho when it comes to all the the transfer news and and all the the rumors that kind of come into fruition over time. Um, and he came out with a statement, I think either today or yesterday, um, that the, the the CEO, for lack of a better term, of PSG, um, were in talks um, with with Messi currently in his camp in order to to get a contract extension. I think that's going to be the deal. I think Messi's playing at too high of a level right now to, to go to the MLS. And again, take this with a grain of salt, but I don't think the MLS can quite yet compete with um, some of the top five leagues in, in Europe. So um, I think he still has too much left in the tank in order for, for him to, I don't think he should make that move just yet. I do know that he has a great relationship with Beckham. Um, I know he has a house in Miami as well, because of course he makes millions upon millions of dollars and he needs somewhere to stay during the summer before um, preseason begins for every year, but I think for for what it's worth, he'll get one or two more years, I think, in Europe before he moves to the MLS. Well, that was kind of my, and again, you know, I'm coming at it from a very casual uh, fan's perspective. I'm still trying to, you know, learn the in and out ins and outs of the sport. But I guess when when you talk about you know either of them or both of them coming to America to play in Major League Soccer, I actually get it with Messi. I get wanting to you know, potentially re-up with PSG or, you know, I, I think there have even been some rumors he could go back to Barcelona, mm -hmm. um, you know, spending a couple more years in Europe because he's a couple years younger than Ronaldo. He's obviously still playing at an exceptionally high level. I think he has a couple more years left in the tank where, you know, if I think, you know, obviously selfishly, I would love to have him in America, but 
you know, I think, you know, the level that he's playing at, he certainly could, you know, squeeze a couple more years out of his career over in Europe with, you know, a, a top team over there in a league with, you know, considered a little bit higher up there. Uh, where, whereas with Ronaldo, you know, obviously, like I said, I think he's 37, Messi's 35. So he's a couple of years older, you know, really in the twilight of his career. You know, you could even make the argument. I know Portugal were bringing him off the bench as a substitute uh, in a couple of their games. I think some people were even saying Portugal looks better with him coming off uh, mm-hmm. the bench than they do with, with him in the starting 11. Um, so I just think, you know, if Ronaldo wanted to follow the trends of, I guess, guys like, you know, Gareth Bale and Wayne Rooney and, you know, maybe you could throw Beckham in there. I know Beckham was arguably still in his prime when he came to the Galaxy, but you know, I guess there's the trend of players from Europe sort of coming to retire in Major League Soccer because it's a little bit lower stress of an, an environment and, you know, they can kind of walk off into the sunset there. Um, you know, with with how much of a fan base Ronaldo has and, you know, I, I feel like he could have done a lot to help elevate Major League Soccer, even if it was with a team like Kansas City, uh, you know, and in the long run, maybe that would pay out, uh, whether it's financially for him or in terms of following or whatever as opposed to playing in Saudi Arabia, where I guess his haters are really mocking him and ridiculing him for taking a deal like that uh, in a league like that. But um, I don't know. I think I think it was a much more, if I were in Ronaldo's shoes, I would be much more attracted to Major League Soccer, whereas you know, with Messi, I, I certainly understand wanting to spend a couple more years over in Europe. Yeah, it's, it's a really interesting situation. Um, I 100% agree with you with Messi. I still think he has quite a few years left in order for him to, to play at such a high level. Um, and, I, and I do really see the the attractiveness and the appeal of, of Ronaldo potentially coming to the MLS. But again, I, we don't really know what he was looking for. You know, I know that Kansas city uh, had put in a bid. It went through his agents looked at it. Um, but then I, I just think I mean, $220 million per year, including all the promotions and everything that um, he would get paid salary rise. I mean, I understand that how there might be a morality thing to it, but I mean, it's $220 million. So I can understand that appeal and, and he's doing really well there. He scored four goals today um, in their win. So, I mean, it's, it's, he's still playing at a level that is Ronaldo esque, but um, I think you put it pretty well that I think he's looking more at the twilight of his career than Messi is currently. Yeah, no doubt. I, and I, I saw that I think with his four goals, Today, I'm saying today, it's going to take me a couple of days to get this uploaded, obviously. But uh, I, th- I think he goes over, he's over 500 goals in club play. Is that correct? Yeah, over 500 yeah. goals. Yeah, which is quite an accomplishment, I'm sure. Well, on the subject of uh, the future of soccer in America, obviously the World Cup comes to the United States. I know a couple of matches will be played in uh, Canada Mexico as well with this joint bid. Um, but I guess, that, you know, it really speaks to, like we were talking a little bit about the future of the U.S. men's national team, and you know maybe there's still a chance Messi could come play in Major League Soccer uh, within the next couple of years, and to, to have a player like that playing in the United States would be huge. Um, I just feel like I've been hearing for my entire lifetime that soccer is the fastest growing sport in America. You know, give it a few years, and you know the U.S. will be dominating the World Cup and and everything like that. But I feel like right now is different like I'm actually and maybe it's just because I'm actually buying into the hype and I'm trying to watch more of these games but I actually feel like there's a there's a strong sense of energy you know surrounding U.S. soccer right now uh, that I think signifies a very bright future do you agree with that 
100%. Yeah, I, I think that the 2026 World Cup bid that we got um, was at probably one of the most opportune times um, for, for the culture of what soccer is becoming in the U.S. Um, I mean, there's going to be a game in Philly. There's going to be a couple games in Philly, a couple games at East Rutherford Stadium where the Giants and the Jets play. So um, I'm assuming because I know that Christian Pulisic um, was was a um, – huge agent in order for, for getting a couple of soccer games at the link uh, that maybe we can get a U.S. men's team um, game during the world cup at Lincoln financial field. That would be a crazy game to watch. Um, but all things considered, I, I think that the way that culture, the, the soccer culture is becoming uh, as, as of right now, as um, with how strong our team is with how young our team is as well. And with the experience that they're, they're bound to get, more and more of over the next couple of years. I'm very, very excited to see um, what everything's going to look like in the next couple of years. And then who knows if we get a new coach, um, Jesse Marsh, who just got fired from Leeds as American. And he kind of seems um, to a lot of the soccer commentators is kind of like the next big thing when it comes to head coaching for the men's national team. So if that comes into fruition, there's just a lot of, I'm cautiously optimistic to put it, to put it in one, one or two words, just because I'm very excited to see what, what's coming ahead. But again, there, there can be a lot of pressure on this much hype. So. Yeah. Well, I know our women's team in just a few months is going for a three-peat uh, on the women's world cup side of things as well. So, you know, there's, there's certainly a lot of positive momentum uh, surrounding this sport in the United States right now. And mm-hmm. uh, I'm with you. I, I want to try to find a way. Uh, I, don't, I don't think there's ever going to be a better opportunity to attend a, a world cup match than there's going to be uh, three years from now. So um I don't know where I'm going to be three years from now, if I'll still be in the area or uh, or what, but regardless of whether it's Philly or, you know, East Rutherford, like you were saying, or wherever, I think, you know, it's, it's on my bucket list. I definitely got to get to at least one of those games when they come here. 100%. A couple of my friends and I are putting money aside because <laughs> we already know the t- tickets are going to be so expensive, yeah. but it's going to be so worth it. Well, I know we touched on this a little bit earlier, talking about the future of it, uh men's national team. Um do you think there's any chance that the U S could make a run at the world cup in three years? Or do you think, you know, a more realistic goal would be get out of the group and maybe win one, maybe two knockout stage games uh, in 26. Do you think winning the whole thing is a little bit too far out there? Or do you think that, you know, you look at the player development and like you said, you know, we had a really young team this year, you know, you hire the right manager and, you know, get the coaching staff sorted out. Could we make a legitimate run at the world cup? Yeah, it's a really interesting situation. Um, I mean, there's a lot of turmoil, kind of like what we talked about in the beginning of this podcast, kind of like what's going on. Um, if that gets figured out or if there is transition, I just kind of want it to be under the bridge um, come time for the World Cup over the next couple of years. Um, again, super, super young team. Um, the problem for me currently is that they're actually uh, expanding the amount of teams eligible for the World Cup in 2026. So I think it goes from 32 to 48. So it's going to be uh, a lot more games, um, a lot higher stakes in terms of which teams are eligible, which teams aren't, um, and then how, how the bracket's going to work. So it might be four teams in a group, it might be three teams in a group. Um, all that has yet to be decided. But I think the U.S. has a legitimate shot to get out of the group. Um, I wouldn't put the expectations of them winning a World Cup just yet because there's still so many stalwarts that I don't think we can catch up to anytime soon, like France, Brazil, Germany, um, England, some of those big names, but 
Um, I, I do think we have a legitimate shot of making out a group, of course, and then uh, winning a game or two for sure. Well, I know it's certainly going to be very interesting to watch all that go down uh, in just a few years. And I think, you know, just to, to kind of sum it all up again, um, you know, a lot of positive momentum uh, surrounding the sport right now. And it's, it's great to see because uh, you know, it's, it's been, I've, I've, I've wanted to get into soccer for a while and it's kind of reminded me of uh you know, Formula One's really booming in the United States right now. And I think of all the fans that were introduced to that, whether it was through the Netflix show or, you know, the TV deal with ESPN or whatever, um, maybe being a little bit more accessible than NBCSN was. But, uh, you know, uh, if you're trying to pick up Formula One, you got 10 teams and 20 drivers to learn. I feel like I've got 10 leagues to learn all around the world, you know, trying to, you know, learn everything about uh, the beautiful game as it were. Uh, so I appreciate you, uh, spending some time with me this evening and uh, talking over some things and giving your thoughts on uh, the current state of the sport. And uh, I, like I said, I think there's, there's a lot of things to look forward to. Yeah, man. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. I got to say though, that um, you said it was your uncle who's a Tottenham fan. I would just, yeah. I don't know if he should be your uncle anymore. You should switch to Chelsea, you know, <laughs> Yeah, you got the blues, you know, well, haven't, they haven't won a trophy yeah. since ever, I think. So, and join a club that won the Champions League two years ago. Yeah, well, I'm, I'm, yeah, you're right. I mean, I, I am still looking for a, a, a club to support. I guess I, I don't know if I want one really though. Like, I, I think it's, it's a lot more fun when you don't care who wins and you're just watching as neutral fans. So I don't know. Maybe I keep the mentality that they're all in England anyway. You know, it's not like there's a local team that I have to pull for or anything. So I, I don't know. I, I, I love my uncle. He and I butt heads a lot of times over. Uh, you know, the the Philly and New York thing, or you know, yeah. soccer versus basketball. Um, because he, he, I always used to make fun of soccer because he always made fun of basketball, and that's you know probably my favorite stick and ball sport, if mm. you will. So, uh, you know, we have an interesting relationship there. But yeah, uh, you know, certainly going to be uh watching and and paying attention to how the the whole uh Premier League standings play out. And um, you know, unless you've got anything else you want to speak on here as we sign off, I'll uh, I'll let you get back to the rest of your evening. Otherwise. I don't think so, man. Uh, like I said, pleasure, pleasure to pleasure to do this. Good to good to hear from you and see you. But um, here's hoping that become a Chelsea fan. That's the last thing I'll say. Yeah, well, I appreciate the opportunity to catch up, and you know, let me know if you're uh, if you're in the area going to a Union game, uh, you know, this season because uh, I I've still have not been to Subaru Park, but certainly on my list of things to get done. Yeah. Well. So I'd, I'd love to go to a game uh, at some point if you're down for that. Yeah, you've never been before. Never been. I've been to I've been to Sixers game and a couple of Phillies games this past year, but uh, never been to an Eagles game at the Link, and uh, never been to a Flyers game at Wells Fargo, and never been to a, a Union game. So those are still on my list. Okay. Yeah, Union games are, are pretty fun to watch. Uh, you're super super close to the pitch, um, so that's really fun. Um, the energy is crazy. There's only like 6,500 seats in the whole stadium, but it's electric through and through because we're playing so well now um, stadium gets more and more packed every game. So you're, you'll, you'll be in for a treat for sure. Sounds good. Well, thanks again, my man. And uh, hopefully we'll talk soon. Yeah, of course. Thanks for having me, Ben.